Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Just remain standing, pick up your Bibles and go with me to Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We will begin reading in verse 9 as we continue straight out of darkness. Straight out of darkness. For this reason also since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, thanks to the Father who has qualified us, who has, not going to, who has qualified us, To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. For he rescued us or he delivered us from the domain of darkness. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Thank you for your word today Lord. We pray you would speak to us. Let revelation fill the room. Let your word go deep. I thank you, O God, that the powers of darkness are bound. That only truth would fill our ears today. We thank you for it, Father. And the church said, give the Lord one more praise as you're being seated. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. Well, if you're wondering where Pastor Kim and Jessica are, they are in Riverside, California this morning. This Rock International Church, they're there. They were there last night. Jessica led worship. Kim preached. Jessica's probably leading worship right now. And um, Kim's going to preach again, and then they're going to do some ministry there tonight. So they're having a great time in Riverside, California. So, Father, we bless them. We bless Jessica. We bless Kim. We speak strength over them, healing over them. Lord, we pray that you would use them powerfully, Lord, to deepen revival there at this Rock International Church. And we give you a praise for it in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Straight out of the darkness. Straight out of darkness. That, that, that word so gripped me last week. So gripped me. That as we move into seven, we can expect to see a release of end time harvest straight out of darkness. Matter of fact, the word that I'm still carrying around and putting faith on. You see, when do you say it like that? Because I, I, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet. I'm not saying it's a prophetic word. I'm just saying in prayer about seventh, the seventh year, this phrase came to me. It's not like a phrase I think about all the time. It just kind of came into my spirit. And so when it came into my spirit, I grabbed it, put my faith on it, that that's what God's getting ready to do in year seven. He's getting ready to loose us into a quantum leap. Remember a quantum leap. It is a high or a huge sudden increase or advance in something that that, that is abrupt and large in magnitude. Uh, For us that's been in the church in a while, it would be like that suddenly seasoned thing that we talk about. It's just like you're moving along, you're moving along, and then boom, all of a sudden, you're in a thing. It looked like you were far, far from it, and all of a sudden, you're in it. 
The, the scientific definition of a quantum leap is the discontinuous transition between quantum states. This means that an electron in one energy level in an atom jumps instantaneously into another energy level, emitting and absorbing energy as it does so without any in-between time. It just abruptly moves and jumps. It occurs so quickly. It's like they just, it's like blinking your eye, blink your eye. It's like that. All of a sudden you're here and you blink your eye and you're here. So God is moving like this and you blink your eye and now God's moving like this. But it always moves toward magnitude. It always moves toward mass. It always moves toward breakthrough. So no matter what you have been, what your experience has been, whatever atom you've been locked up in spiritually, all of a sudden it's going to go boop over here and all of a sudden it's going to have more power, more energy, more glory. I'm talking about obviously a spiritual quantum leap. And I told you last week, the best biblical reference I have for that is Pentecost. Because Pentecost it was a quantum leap. There was 120 in an upper room for 10 days. Oh, and they were only there because Jesus said, go there and wait there. For 40 days, he taught them things pertaining to the kingdom. And then he said, now I need you to go, and I need you to go wait in Jerusalem. You go wait there, and then he didn't tell them how long. He just said, go wait until. Wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Because when he does, you shall receive power. And so they went and they waited day one, day two, day three, all the way through. And on the 10th day, the Bible says the fullness of Pentecost had come. The, the fullness of Pentecost had come. And suddenly there was a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and tongues of fire set down upon each one of them and was distributed. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spake in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Are you with me right now? And then all of a sudden Peter kicks the door open, walks out into the street and declares, you crucified him you killed him this Christ and this Lord and they came to repentance what must we do to be saved and 3,000 souls came out of darkness this is this is what I am seeing in my spirit for seven just just one little piece slice of seven not everything just a little slice because if it's a true quantum leap, everything we've experienced the last six years is getting ready to jump with us, but with higher energy. So can you put your faith with my faith and believe that seven is going to be filled With the magnitude and with mass harvest, conversions, mass deliverances, and mass healings. That's right. Do it, Lord. You know what? I, I remembered this week. The Holy Spirit helped me remember this week. Y'all know Apostle Rick Shelton, right? And he, he prophesied over Kim and I. Um, he prophesied over us 24 years ago that we would be coming here. Now, he didn't say you're going to this church in Peoria, but he prophesied over us that when we were in the ministry, just a year into the ministry of Plenty Church in Virginia. And he, he said, God's going to raise you up and he's going to do a great work. He's going to do a great work here. That was Virginia. And then he's going to take you somewhere else, Paul and Kim, and you're gonna, God's going to do a great work there. And then he prophesied over this will be then in the seasons of years the seasons of years uh, what we figured was four years now we didn't sit around counting the days but we figured four years four seasons that sounds good so we'll just put our faith on that and so and, and so we didn't really think about it that much but when when i when i stood behind the pulpit in another building on this property lighthouse church then that i stood in my pulpit for the first time as as the senior pastor of this church it was almost exactly to the day to the day four years the reason I'm bringing that up is because in that same in that same prophetic word, we don't talk about it much because there were really three different pieces to it. That was just one piece to it. One of the other pieces that, that, that he prophesied over Kim and I that we would we would function in a double anointing. He said, You're gonna function in a double anointing. He said it's gonna be prophetic. And then and then he said, It's also he said, Paul, he said, I see over you, I see over you one of the strongest anointings of an evangelist that, that I have ever seen. Now, this was 24 years ago, okay? And he said that. 
that. And when he was prophesying that, one of the things he said I had totally forgotten about, he said, he said, in God, that in your latter years, he said, this won't happen yet, but he said, in your latter years, he said, in your latter years, you, God will use you and the double anointing that is on your life, he will use it to bring mass deliverances. Now, I, I, I'm paraphrasing that just a little bit because I can't get it exactly. But, it, but that, those, that verbiage is in there. Deliverances, there could be mass. You're going to stand before the masses and deliverance is going to be released. Now, I haven't pursued that and I'm not going to pursue it. But I know one thing. I'm getting in the latter years. And so I'm expecting not less but more. I'm expecting mass. I'm expecting to see more saved than ever been saved. I'm expecting to see more delivered than has ever been delivered. I'm expecting to see more healed than has ever been healed. It is our moment and our time. I just got to cover a couple of things so, so I can jump to where we're going today. But, but I, I heard the Holy Spirit say, because that's what we've been doing. We've been preparing this month especially, preparing ourselves, going out of six to seven, preparing ourselves. And as glorious as this morning has been, I just got a feeling there is more. I just got a feeling we're still, we're just, ah. Ain't no, got no words to talk about it. Prepare for the end time harvest. That's what I heard the Holy Spirit say. Prepare for it. And by the way, it's going to be messy. He said it's going to be massive. And I'm not just talking about those that come to Fresh Start. I'm talking about in the body of Christ. We got to think bigger. But we got to take care of this place. He said, it's going to be massive and messy. Why, Lord? Because they're coming straight out of darkness. So while the church, the ecclesia, has been crying out for revival and awakening, the prince of darkness has been locking down and pushing deeper those in the domain of darkness. The reason they're going to be messy is because we are going to have to deal with their devils. This absolutely has to be the most demonized generation that has stepped on the face of the earth. God in his mercy and his grace is going to extend his hand of light into the realm of darkness and begin to awaken those in darkness to the reality is there is light somewhere. Can I preach this again? And when they come out, they're coming straight out, straight out of darkness. They ain't pass and go. They're not making a religious stop. They're not coming out of some dead, dry church. They're not coming out of some denomination they were raised in. They're coming straight out of darkness. Straight out of darkness, and God's going to bring them into the light. And guess what? They're not going to go somewhere where they're getting an easy, greasy, soft gospel message. They're not going somewhere where they can get a soft Pentecost. They're going somewhere where the fire is burning bright. Sam declared it and prophesied it. They're coming out and they're coming to the fire. They come into the fire. You think this scares them? This doesn't scare them. They've been living in darkness. They've been dancing with devils. And you think a few radical revivalists is going to scare them away? They're coming and they are expecting to experience God's glory, power, and light. Oh! So this week, I heard the Holy Spirit say, we need to up, we need to level up our spiritual warfare.
We're not only going to not settle for his glory. We are not going to settle for our level of authority that we possess in the kingdom. We need to level up in our spiritual authority. What do you think God has been doing for the last six years in revival? He has been increasing our spiritual capacity. But not only for more of him. But that we might enforce the victory of Jesus in greater measure of authority. See, spiritual warfare is really about enforcement. It's not just trying to keep the devil off our life, keeping him out of our marriage and keep him off our kids, keep him away from our money and our jobs. And spiritual warfare is about enforcement. It's about enforcing the victory of Jesus on the cross over the devil and every demon. He didn't just defeat the devil. He defeated every demon. There are a few, few churches that can deal with what I'm getting ready to say today, but we, we need to understand. And so, 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 so look, see, we must understand. The reason I'm preaching this is because I really, I'm in the conviction right now. They're coming out of the darkness, and we need to up our spiritual authority. And so I know I'm preaching to a choir. I know you're learned people. There have been many messages that have been preached in this house on spiritual warfare and spiritual authority. I know you're not novices. I know you understand what I'm talking about, but you got to understand where I'm coming from. Because you see, if we, if we are not careful, we will know a lot, but we don't show a lot. <laughs> Knowing doesn't wreck hell. Knowing doesn't bring down principalities and powers. Knowing doesn't do anything. It's when you go and you show them the victory of Jesus has defeated them and they must go. So this means that we must really understand who we are in Christ. Because, see, really understanding who we are in Christ, moving us from knowing to showing, takes constant mental effort. Because we forget. Because Satan fears the ecclesia, fears the men and women of God who understand their authority. So he has become a master at cloaking us in his mantle of darkness to obscure our vision of spiritual authority. See, James said, we're like the man that looks in a mirror. You look in a mirror and you go on your way and it's just a few minutes and you forgot what you saw in a mirror. So you go back and say, what, 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 what? I just had to double check because I wasn't sure. You know, ladies, you got to double check sometimes. Sometimes you triple and quadruple check. That's because we look, we see, and we forget. So we look, we look, we look, we see who Christ is. We look at the victory that we have, but the enemy's there to make sure we forget. So we got to make sure we go back to the Word, the mirror of the Word, so we can see what happened in the Word, so we can see our victory isn't just an idea. It is in the Word. Yes? So I figured the best place to start today would be 
in the origin of spiritual warfare. To understand spiritual warfare, we've got to go way, 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 way back to in the beginning was God. Before the universe was created, God was. He simply existed. How do we know this? We know this because we know that from nothing comes nothing. Therefore, if there ever was a time that there was nothing that existed, then nothing would exist. But look around. Things exist. You exist. I exist. Why do we exist? We exist because something or someone has always existed. That something or that someone is God. In the beginning was God. Where did he come from? He didn't come from anywhere. He always was. And he always will be. So we know if you go way, way back to eternity past, God was. But we know according to John 1.1 1, 1, that Jesus also exists. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word, Jesus, was with God. And the word was God. Speaking of the pre-incarnation of Christ. Christ not being a created being. He always was. God's not created. He is the creator. Anything that exists is because God created it. Jesus, the beloved son, dwelt with his father. We also know that the Holy Spirit exists. He was present before creation. Genesis 1-2 described the Spirit hovering over the face of the deep. So before time existed, God existed. Three persons, three manifestations. I'm not going to fight you over. All I know is there was a Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Existing as one, three, but one. If you understand that, you're a better man than I am. I don't understand it. I'm not going to sit up here and say, you know, if you get an egg and you take an egg and you look at the egg and there's a yolk in the egg and there's a shell on the egg and, and then, uh, you know, you go, come on. This is, our God is a finite God. You can't define him. He's a, he is an infinite God. You can't define him with finite ideas and analogies. It's a mystery. I don't want to know. I just got to believe. So this Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spokes, God the Holy Ghost, existed in perfect harmony. Having need of nothing and need of no one. So before God created the universe, the earth, man, God experienced absolute satisfaction in himself. David said in Psalm 16, 11, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. 
In your right hand there is pleasures forever. So God, that absolute satisfaction in himself, God dwelt in the fullness of joy and pleasure. Our Bible says that Jesus was the fullness of the Godhead. And then God created angels. Angels. Angels are real, y'all. God created them. They're mentioned 273 times in Scripture, 34 different books of the Bible. Angels. According to Psalm 68, 17, these angels were created without number. They were countless. Psalm 68 says that they were 20 thousands, even thousands of thousands. Jesus spoke of his ability to call 12 legions of angels if he needed to be rescued. They were standing and ready at his command. 72,000 angels. But as you go and you navigate through scripture, you will find that there is only three whose names are given. There's Gabriel, the messenger angel. There's Michael, the archangel, the warring angel. And then there's Lucifer, the fallen angel. I'm taking us back to the origin. You see, in eternity past, there was perfect unity around God's will. And then God created angels. And for a season, we don't know how long, they, because eternity doesn't have time connected to it, but they were in perfect alignment with the will of God. Created and in some capacity, the ability to choose. And then something happened that changed everything. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 allude to it in what is called prophetic language interpreting scripture. It speaks of two different kings. Isaiah speaks of one. As a, uh, excuse me, uh, Ezekiel speaks of one. And, and then it speaks of them because uh, the text, it, it, it refers to Satan, but it seems like Isaiah and Ezekiel are prophesying to the king, but they are not. They're prophesying to the spirit that's behind them. And so when they begin to declare these words, they begin to give us an understanding of what happened. They begin to give us an understanding and a picture of how Lucifer rose up and he led a rebellion in heaven. Uh, Ezekiel describes how Lucifer rose up and, and, and when he rose up he began uh, to move to, to move in, into God's creative order. He began to move against God's will. What was perfect and what had alignment and what was a beautiful harmony now was disrupted by the selfish pride of Lucifer who decided to move up and, 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 and move up into God's creative order. And this my friend is where sin comes from. The very the very order of sin it came into creation at this moment that where lucifer allowed unrighteousness to come into his heart and allow pride to come into his heart so so we see there in ezekiel that 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 satan number one or lucifer was a created he was created in perfection he he was perfect in every Way he was created in perfect. He was called in, in, in Ezekiel the guarding, guarding God's holiness. That was part of his his job. Was he was guarding God's holiness. It says that he had been set on the holy mountain. And this refers to the fact that, that Lucifer was involved in the government of God through worship. That he, that he was set on the holy mountain and that he guarded and he was set in the government of God. And somewhere along the way, unrighteousness filled 
his heart. And Ezekiel explains his fall. And Isaiah then jumps in and gives us more insight. And he starts like this. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You see, when you, when you go to Isaiah chapter uh, I, 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 Isaiah. Uh, chapter uh, 15, uh, excuse me, 14, what you see there, then you see that he fell, and, and he fell because he had what, what is called the five wills. Because Satan looked at himself, and he looked at the Godhead, and he said, you know what? I think I can rise up there because I'm as perfect, as holy, and as powerful as they are. His pride got the best of him, and he began to rise. And we, I will statements. The last statement he made, you will see, because each one he was ascending toward the throne of God. His ultimate goal was to take over the throne of God and take over heaven and earth. You see, see, so ultimately he said this. He said, I, Satan or Lucifer, said, I will make myself like the most high. I will make myself like the most high. The word there, most high, is El Elyon. It means possessor of heaven and earth. Satan wanted it all. He wanted heaven and he wanted earth. He wanted power and authority and domain. He felt like that they should invite him into the Godhead. He felt like he should sit on the throne of God with God the Father, God the the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so he said, I will rise and I will take my place in the throne of God. He wanted it all, but instead he got nothing. He wanted it all, but he lost it all. He wanted it. He wanted a place. He wanted a position that was higher than he had been given. But all of a sudden, he was quickly reminded that he was a created being and God was the creator. Lord, help me preach this right now. And by the way, his request to be invited in to the Godhead was denied. Kicked out of heaven. The Bible says he fell. Jesus said, I saw him fall. He didn't really fall. He got kicked out. But even today, Satan desires, it has this great desire for power and control. It still drives him. He still somehow, in his twisted, demented, deceived mind, thinks maybe one day he will take God's throne, take God's place. And because we, the church, man, creation, the people of God, we can't get to God. So he tries to stall the purposes of God by defeating the purpose of God in creation. The high of the holy calling, he stands opposed. To your destiny. Of who all you could be in Christ. Lord, help me preach this. He opposes God's purpose. And he opposes the purpose of God and God's people. Our Bible now calls him the ruler of the world. The prince and the power of the air. He is a tempter. An accuser, a deceiver, an adversary, a slanderer. Lucifer fell. And when he fell, our Bible says that he took one-third of the angels with him. The fallen angels, one-third. 
They followed him into the dominion of darkness. I, 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 I don't quite understand the power of deception that Satan must will because he brought them out of the purest glory and brightness and light. And they followed him as he descended into the realms of a dark domain. Thus today, we have a devil that we fight and we have demons, fallen angels. They're continually trying to rise above God to depossess his throne, to take his throne. But I got good news. We're going somewhere today. Despite all his efforts, the devil and the demons are irrevocably sealed to a destiny of what's called in Revelation a lake of fire. They're going there and ain't nothing going to stop it. I'm telling you, he is a defeated foe and he's headed. His destiny is, is a lake of fire. Some people think he's there. I don't think he's there yet because in Revelation it said he's going to be cast in to this lake of fire. So all of this is going on in the realm of the cosmos. And then God created man. Somewhere in all of that, he created the world. He created the earth. We don't know if it was before the fall or after the fall. All we know for sure, somehow the serpent ended up on the earth. And God created men. And when God created Adam and God created Eve, he created them. And in his image, and then he gave them dominion in the earth. He gave them dominion in the earth. And then through our sin, man gave dominion in the earth to the devil. God gave it to us. We fumbled it through our disobedience. In our rebellion against God's authority, just like the enemy did. And when we did that, we gave him authority and dominion in the realm of the earth to do whatever he wanted to do to humanity. Cursed. Man is now cursed under sin. There ain't no way a man can get it back. There's no way. We sold under the sin. We gave him our authority and our dominion. He has right to do anything he wants to do to humanity, whatever he wants to do. But man can't redeem himself. He's under a curse. He can't redeem himself. So God sent a redeemer. And his name is Jesus. And I never get tired of saying we have a redeemer. If that's not deep enough for you, then I ain't got nothing for you that we, we will bound lost and helpless. We come to sin. He sent a redeemer. In the fullness of time. Jesus came in the womb of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Redeemer came, not just to get us back, but to get the earth back. John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Very God, very God, very man, very man, all God, all man. The Redeemer has come. 
the Lamb of God. Do you realize that Jesus was the sinless one? We couldn't redeem ourselves because we were still full of sin and sold under the sin. Slaves are taskmaster. But the whole incarnation and, and the whole, you know, the thing we celebrated Christmas. And we think it's like all of that. It's like it really happened. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. And then he walks through 33 years of life. Sinless. Satan knew who he was. I saw him in eternity past. This lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. The Godhead already had it planned. The one slain from the foundations of the earth. He would be the sinless one. The spotless lamb. Unscathed by sin. Free from the curse. Satan tried to tempt him but failed. He was the sinless one who Peter says his blood is incorruptible, precious. Satan should have never touched Jesus. Because he had no right to his blood. And when he went to that cross and he gave himself, for he said, They did not take my life, I willingly laid it down. Y'all stay with me because see, he went to that cross and he shed his blood on that cross. And it is through the power of that blood that we have been redeemed. And once the price was paid in full for the atonement of sin, Satan, right then, right then, lost his claim over man and the entire earth. Price is paid that murdering liar should have never touched that spotless lamb of God. But when that pure, incorruptible blood broke out of his body, the price was paid. God said, I see the blood. I accept them. I redeem them. I forgive them. I break the curse off of them. But here's the deal. Most of our understanding of the cross and redemption stops there. You see, most of us understand that the victory that Jesus won on the cross was legal. It was a legal matter. This is why no man could redeem us. In the realm of eternity, in the cosmos, in God's government, there had to be bloodshed for the remission of sin. This took place at the cross. Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Have you ever wondered what took place between the crucifixion and the resurrection? Was it just Jesus laying in a dark tomb for three days? And was he just laying there? Like, man, I wish I would hurry up singing forever. I mean, I've already done the work. 
It's finished. Well, Peter had a revelation on that. If you want to go to go to go to First uh, Peter, chapter three, verse eighteen, Peter says, "For Christ also died." Some translations said, "Suffered for sins once and for all." The just for the unjust. That's us. We're the unjust. So that it might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, that's his body dying on the cross. He gave up his spirit, his breath. But made alive in the spirit, lowercase, human spirit. In which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Wait a minute. I, I, I'm Peter, you're stretching me, Peter. Because what he's showing us is this. It's not only was the victory legal, but it was also dynamic. That when he died on that cross, his body died. But his spirit, as he submitted it to the Father, he went to somewhere and proclaimed something. Peter doesn't tell us where and he didn't tell us what. But when you look at the weight of Scripture, then we understand most theologians and seminarians believe that he went to a place of transition, a temporary place where man would go when he died. Most believe it was Hades because in, in Acts it talks about that he went to Hades. Hades not being hell. Hades being the realm of the dead. And that he went into the realm of the dead, and, and, and they're like, they believe there's two sides to it. You remember when the beggar Lazarus died, and the rich man died, and they both went into eternity. And one went to paradise, and the other went to a place of torment. Many believe that during those three days, Jesus his spirit, his body laid in a tomb, but his spirit descended into the realm of death and darkness. And he went there because it was supposed to be temporary for all of those that had been justified by faith who died believing a Messiah was coming. They were set, they were in this holding place. It's where Lazarus went. And remember Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man could see Lazarus. And he said, I'm in torment. I'm in torment. I'm in torment. Can, can you send a message to my brothers? Can you help? Can you give me some water? Can you do something? Why they, but, but they could not do help him because they were in a different place. But it wasn't where they would always be. It was like a holding tank for the of those in the Old Testament who, who, who had justified by faith and obedience to God. But when he went to the cross and he, and, he, and, he, and he loosed mankind and he loosed the power of salvation, then all of a sudden, Jesus, they believe, went down into the realms of darkness and there he brought out the captives and he set free the captives. Though He went down and he brought out Abraham and he brought out David and he brought out Moses and he brought out Joshua and he brought out the thief on the cross and he brought out Lazarus and all that had went there, all had went there. It was never meant to be permanent. Their permanent place was be heaven. But Jesus had to shed his blood and then he went down. He said it's finished and he went down to get him. But what? that's where he went. That's what he did. But what did he proclaim? Most believe because of what Jude said that there were angels that are already locked up in the realm of darkness in the realm of prison that when Jesus on his way out as he set the captive uh, the captive free that he came out with them and he flexed his muscle and he let them know you are defeated oh y'all ain't hearing me preach right now 
It's just what he did on the cross. It's what he did on the three days in an empty tomb. He went down into the realms of death and said, let my people go. See, I hear you, preacher. I hear you. But if all that is true, then why do we fight? We fight to enforce the victory that he has thoroughly won for us. You see, if you are in Christ, his victory is your victory. He fought it and he won it. It's our job to enforce it. If it is ever true, I've heard it a thousand times, I may have said it a thousand times. We do not fight for victory. We fight from Victory. We are positioned in Christ. We are not trying to win over the devil. We have won over the devil. If we will take our authority and speak in the name of Jesus and walk in the blood of Jesus, there's no demon in hell that can resist the authority that comes out of our mouth. Yes. Our Bible is very clear in Colossians chapter 2, 15. It talks about the God, the God having spoiled the principalities and powers. He made open display, triumphed over them to the cross. The, the, that word spoil, is, it alludes to the, 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 the saying that to the victor belongs the spoils. To the victor belongs the spoils. This, this, this whole thing, because I'm getting ready to go back around, is about souls. Jesus sent the 70 out and they came back. And they said, Jesus, watch this, even demons are subject to us. And you know what, Jesus, he didn't say, no, no, you, wait a minute, guys, you're, you're, you're off. No, no, he, he said, listen, I'm glad you're getting that revelation. But if you're going to rejoice about something, don't rejoice that demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. See, this is important. Let me just stop here and take a little side note, and I'm going to get done here as soon as I can. But let me just take this side note. Listen, what I'm talking about, what I'm talking about deliverance, and I'm talking about taking, being delivered and being a deliverer, please understand, this can never become the center of who we are and what we do. The center must be Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. The center, we must, our fascination should never be in the realms of darkness. Our fascination must should be in the one that sits on the throne and the glory and the light. The righteous one. Our fascination. Don't rejoice because you can kick devils out. Rejoice because your name is written. And this is one of the big things when you start talking about stuff like this. It's because you see either, either we go too far with it or we don't go far enough. We have the hardest time finding truth and keeping it accurate. We have lost more authentic truth to fanaticism because people get stupid and crazy with it. And real people say, I don't want nothing to do with that. This wasn't in my notes, but I feel it right now. We got to get this thing right. We got to get this thing authentic. There's a harvest depending on us. We got to break free from illusions that are not reality. And we got to get the reality of this thing and understand Jesus went to a real cross, died a real death was resurrected after he defeated hell, death, and the grave. 
and his victory is our victory. Get up on your feet and shout yes. When, when do we fight? We fight to enforce his victory. If he's defeated, he's defeated. But you know, by his very nature, Satan does not follow the rules. He does not follow the law. He's a lawbreaker. So what Satan and the, the demons do, and they're real. C.S. Lewis says they're like, actually just right outside your skin. It's right there. Somebody said, do you believe there's a demon behind every bush? There's probably three demons behind every bush. We don't win by making him small. We must enforce the victory of Jesus. So, um, the enemy is moving in guerrilla warfare against the church, against the saints of God. He hates the saints of God. That phrase came to me, and I thought, what, what is guerrilla warfare? Well, number one, it's, it's illegal warfare. But it's defined as a form of warfare in which small groups of combatants, de de demons very seldom work alone. And they use military tactics as ambushes, sabotage, raids, petty warfare, hit and run attacks in order to fight a larger, stronger army. You do know there's more with us than is... You do know one-third, one-third fell, two-thirds stayed strong. Fear not, child of God, there is more with us than is against us. We must enforce this dynamic victory as well as this legal victory. It must be enforced in three ways. I had you stand because I saw you slipping and I need you to hear this. The victory of Jesus must be enforced in three levels. Number one, the self level. That's why we began this thing last week with dealing with our own devils. It's the lust of our flesh, the pride of life. The lust of the eyes. Demons, though they cannot get in us, will try to energize those areas of our life. We must constantly decree the victory of Jesus over our personal life. This is the place where you enforce his victory over your marriage, over your children over your home, over your prodigals. This is the place it is in the arena of intercession and proclamation and prayer and preaching that we decree he is defeated in our lives. The second place we must enforce this victory. I will call it street level. It's what I've been preaching about of those coming straight out of darkness. See, self-level is internal, our internal sin nature that we all must deal with. Street level is external and the work of the enemy externally upon those coming out of darkness. And the third level is the strategic level. The strategic level is what we call territorial praying. 
You see, we must understand that sin and its effect is much larger than self-sin and street sin. There's a larger context in which evil works together with sin. And it strengthens systems and structures that are evil. That oppose God. I know there's people that don't believe this, but I don't have time for them. Quit worrying about what other people don't believe. You see, when sin and demons work together through governmental policies and theories, systems of justice, evil people with demons become influenced by evil, sin, and the demonic, and they become corrupted. They, 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 they become oppressed. You see, when you put evil, sin, demons, everything it touches becomes corrupted. They don't even know they're corrupted because they're corrupted. They don't know really, the thought processes are corrupted. The laws are trying to pass are corrupted. I can't get no help up in here. These three dimensions will continue to imprison humanity until somewhere along the way, these things are bound and these things are broken. By who? Jesus already did it in the spirit realm. Now we, the ecclesia, are gonna do it in the earthly realm. I just come to tell you, don't get weary because the only hope for America the only hope, the only hope for the lost and the bound is that they may experience the power of the light of a redeeming Jesus. They must be saved and they must be delivered. It's not just going to go away because we want it to get better. Somewhere soft and light has got to be sprinkled upon the face of the earth. Oh, you think we're not doing anything? Oh, you think it doesn't matter? Let me tell you something. You take Ecclesia off this planet and you'll see real quick. It will be nothing but a cesspool of perversion and violence and corruption. We are holding back the very thing that wants to destroy the soul of humanity and this planet. But our job is not done. Our work is not over. It's time to rise up and declare I need you to join me around the front of this building quickly. I feel the anointing of God. Saint of God. The devil is a liar. The devil is a liar. Come on, get up close as you can. I'm telling you, devil, something's getting ready to move. The first thing that needs to happen. The first thing that needs to happen. Is we need to ask God. To give us real revelation and understanding. Of what I released today. Look, I could go way, it goes way deeper. I'm just kind of surfing this on the surface of this thing. But I'm gonna tell you something. We can't, we, we can't know stuff like I just released and allow things to stay the same. Where there's personal, where there's those coming straight out of darkness, or where there's territorial spirits that have set themselves over regions and territories. We must take the reality of this revelation and let it move us to a place of warfare 
and not just on Gap, and not just on Pray America, but everyday church, you can move principalities and powers. If I read my Bible right, every believer has the authority to cast out devils. You say, I don't know what to do. Pray. You say, if I run into a demon-possessed person, what do I do? Pray. Pray in the name of you. Keep it simple. Tell that thing, his power has been broken to the finished work of the cross of our Jesus. And now he must go in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.